I'm about to ask you the hardest question that has ever been asked by anyone. I know, ooh, all right, big call, big call, right? I'm going to ask you the hardest question that's ever been asked. Every single civilization of people across all of history have had this question ever. Every single person has had this question, and they've never been able to settle on an answer. That's how tricky a question it is. It's how tricky a question it is. Here it is. You ready? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Can't settle on an answer. Everyone's had the question, what's the meaning of life? One movie's tried to answer that question. Chuck your eyes to the screen. We'll have a look. Many millions of years ago, a race of hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings got so fed up with the constant bickering about the meaning of life that they commissioned two of their brightest and best to design and build a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, deep thoughts. We want you to tell us the answer. The answer to what? The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer. Something simple. Hmm, you have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. And the phone's all right, over. They got back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They did. That last is my favorite bit. 42. Uh, and that's it. We're done. Let's pray. 42. That's not it, right? What that video is trying to say is we don't know. We don't know. People have had this question and just not been able to answer it. We can't know the answer. That's what it's saying. But is that the case? Is that true? See, this question is the hardest question you could ever ask, but it's also the most important question that you could ever ask. Because the answer to it will dictate how you spend your whole life. Well, it should, right? If the, if the meaning of life, if the meaning of you is to do this thing, and you're off doing something else, then you've just wasted your life. You've wasted your life. You've gotten it wrong. The, the aim of the game yesterday that we were playing... It's to go and it's to blow up the base or something. I think that's about right. Take the bomb, you'll blow up the base. If you're going off and just seeing how much grass you collect and you come back and you're like, eh, they're like, well, you haven't done the game. You lose, right? You wasted your time. You've been doing the wrong thing. If the meaning of our life is to do this 
And we're doing this, we've wasted it. Completely wasted it. If you can answer this question, you will know why you exist. And everyone's had that question, haven't we? We've had that feeling. Why do I exist? What am I, what am I doing here? If we can answer this question, you'll know. In fact, being unable to answer this question of why you exist is one of the top reasons people try to commit suicide in our world. Because if if life has no meaning, what's the point of living it? That's people's thought. You can see why they'd think that. But so what, what, have, what have been some answers that people have given, all right? What's the meaning of life? What, is the, what are some answers that people have given in the past? Well, some people have thought that the meaning of life is pleasure, all right? And so you just do whatever you want to do to make you happy, all right? So you want to go sleep around, sleep around. You want to go party, party. Do whatever you need to do to feel as good inside as you need to do. That is your purpose. Go and do it, right? But this is just destructive in the end, right? John Mayer. Who knows John Mayer? Hands up. John Mayer. He wrote a song called Something's Missing, all right? And it's all about his quest, his search for happiness, for pleasure. And this is how it goes. Ready? Friends. Check. Money. Check. The opposite sex. Check. Messages waiting for me when I come home. Check. But this is the part of the song that repeats. Are you ready? Something's missing. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what it is. No matter what he had, and he had a bunch of it, right? No matter what he had, none of it was enough. There's always something missing. Pleasure doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. This is the most recent answer that our generation's given. So pleasure's one, here's another one, nothing. Nothing. Life has no meaning, life has no purpose. And, and this, is, this is inevitable, right, this answer, because if the world came from nowhere, if it just came to exist out of nothing for no reason, then nothing that happens in that random world can be of any purpose, Does that make sense? If a world just randomly came into being somehow, then nothing that happens in it can be anything but random. And so you're born, random. Anything you do, random. And so it can't be of any purpose. It can't. And if you believe that there's no God and the world just kind of burst into existence, then this is what the inevitable outcome is, that there's no meaning to life. There can't be. This is the thing that guys like Richard Dawkins, they'll tell you this exactly. There's no meaning. There is no meaning. I know about you, but this is depressing. Utterly depressing. No meaning. How would you find out the answer though, right? We've looked at a couple, but how would you work out what it is? Here's how I reckon you do it. You use what I like to call the Cotton-Eyed Joe framework. All right? Who knows the song Cotton-Eyed Joe? I think we got a snippet of it. Can we play a little bit, Steve? I think we got some. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we're good, we're good. All right, here's the only two lines that we know what it says in that song besides a fiddle solo, right? Where did you come from? Where did you go? That's how you work out the purpose of something. Now, I don't think that song is a very serious song trying to say that, right? But that's how you work out the purpose of something. Where did it come from? And where's it going in the future? Where did it come from? Where did it go? That's how you work out the purpose. All right, what's the purpose of a horse? You have no idea, right? You need a bit more information. Here's where it came from. It came from a championship-winning breeder, all right? They've won the Melbourne Cup with their past three horses. They bred it for that purpose. That's where it came from. And where's it going? Well, in 10 years, they're planning to put it into the Melbourne Cup, right? And so what's the purpose of that horse as it lives? To race. Its purpose is to race. Its purpose is, is to train so that it's ready for the Melbourne Cup. That's its purpose. And you only know that because you know where it came from and where it's going. Does that make sense? We're on board? Cotton Eye Joe framework. What is our purpose? We're going to look at that by going through the Cotton Eye Joe framework. Where do we come from? Where do we go? the purpose of life, the purpose of creation, the purpose of you, we're going to see that today as we go into the book of Colossians. Huge. We're going to get the answer by seeing the biggest picture of Jesus that you will ever see. One of the most beautiful passages about Jesus that you will ever see in Colossians. I'm going to tell you why you exist. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to ask God that he just help us to understand. Let's do that together. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We want to thank you for your power. We want to thank you that you speak to us. We know that as we read your word now, you are speaking truth to us. We pray that as you do that, that you'd help us to understand what you're saying. Amen. All right, so we've got Paul, right? Remember, Paul's writing to a church in a town called Colossae, and he's telling them, keep on going with Jesus. You've taken Jesus, that's good, keep on going. Don't be tempted by anything else. And so the way that he tells them not to go anywhere else is by going, here's how good Jesus is. And here's the first big thing we're going to see, right? If you take a note, you can write this one down. Everything came from Jesus. I'll say it again. Everything came from Jesus. Starting in verse 15 with me. If you've got your Bibles, look down. Talking about the Son of God, Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. This passage shows us that Jesus is the Creator. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. Then he lists a bunch of things, right? Things in heaven, things on earth. We've got invisible, visible. We've got thrones, powers, rules, authorities, all things. You know what it's saying when it's saying all things? You know what that means? All things, everything, right? Jesus made everything. And so we see in the first book of the Bible that God makes the world. It's not random. He speaks and things come to be. God makes the world. And he does it through Jesus. Now, that's a crazy thing, right? And I can't tell you exactly how that works. But in some way, Jesus was the one who brought about the plan of God to make the world, to make the universe. It was made through him. 
And it's important to just quickly note that this isn't saying that there's more than one God, right? We don't have a couple of gods, three gods. There's one God. It's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Spirit. That's what we speak and we sing about the Trinity. You might not know what we were singing about when we sing songs that have the Trinity in it. It's like a tri, right? Triangle, tricycle, three. And so God is one, but three persons. Tricky. Tricky, right? That's what it's saying. But this, this means that Jesus has always existed. There was never a point where Jesus didn't exist. And you see that clearer as well in John chapter 1. So keep your finger in Colossians, but flick on over to John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now John's writing, and he's writing about Jesus. And he's nicknamed him the Word. So whenever it says the Word, it's talking about Jesus. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Look outside for a second. If you're on this side, you can look out there. If you're on this side, you can look out here. Look at all the things that have been made. Grass, the trees, the bush, the spiky orange Bird flower thing. Birds of paradise, nailed it. Sky, the bark, the air that you can't see but it's there. Made by Jesus. Jesus made it. Have you ever stopped to just think about our planet for a second? Our planet is crazy. This is it. It's a nice looking planet. That is a nice planet, right? (laughs) And this is our little neighbourhood of planets, all right? So we're over, uh, we're over here somewhere, and you've got your little acronym to remember where everything is, and Pluto kind of got like kicked out of the little group, poor Pluto. But that's our little our group of planets, our little neighborhood of planets. And we circle around the sun. Man, I'm going to give you the worst science lesson you've ever heard, but we circle around the sun, right? Here's the sun. Here's us compared to the sun. That's Earth. Compared to the sun... It is nothing, so small. But the sun is just another star, right? It's heaps of star. Here is the sun compared to this big boy. What is it? V.Y. Canis Majoris. Latin, right? So here's the sun compared to that star, and we were like that size in comparison to the sun. All right? This is, this is the picture of our universe that Jesus made, all right? And so our, our solar system, our little neighborhood we live in, it's just a small speck of the galaxy that we live in. So here we go, ready? Everything you can see at night is in this little tiny section of our whole galaxy, which is there, the Milky Way galaxy. One of the worst chocolate bars, but a nice-looking galaxy, all right? Really nice galaxy. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a bad Mars bar. You'll be all right. All right, there's us. Everything you can see in that little tiny speck of our galaxy. And this next one is our galaxy 
compared to other galaxies, right? So everything we can see was one little bit, and it's all in this, which is just another small part of all these other galaxies. Here's a picture taken by the Hubble telescope. What are all of these? They're galaxies. They're not even stars. Each one of these is a galaxy. A galaxy. That is amazing. Each of those containing planets, millions of stars. And look how many there are. Jesus made each one. Every single one Jesus made. Wow. How big is Jesus? How incredible is it that he would make that? But he doesn't just make it and then take a back seat and just let it kind of rock on on its own. Because the next thing we see is Jesus sustains it. Jesus is the sustainer. Come back to Colossians with me. You can keep your finger in John though because we're going to be coming back. But Colossians verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 17 17, he is before, Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus doesn't just make, like, make the world step back and say, you got it now, world, go nuts. He's the one who keeps it working. Jesus is the one who keeps it together. The, the nuclear fusion, the powers the sun, Jesus Jesus uses that to keep the sun going. The gravity that keeps us all here and not floating around the place, Jesus uses that to keep it going. Your heart that pumps blood around your body, Jesus uses that to keep you going. All of this happens because Jesus makes it happen. Jesus allows it to happen. And that's not saying that natural forces don't exist. Gravity exists, but it exists as Jesus' way of keeping everything working. Jesus' way of sustaining. The other week I found a, a meditation app, all right, on iTunes, a free meditation app, I thought. Happy days. Downloaded it. Found out it was actually a $60 meditation app. Yeah. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> it was a very expensive meditation app. But it's meant to help you breathe and relax, right? So we're going to do some, a little bit of meditation together, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to breathe in. Four seconds. I'm going to hold it for four seconds. I'm going to breathe out for four seconds. You ready for this? Breathe in. Two, three, four. Now hold it. Two, three, four. And let it out. Two, three. Oh, that's relaxing. Let's do it one more time. Ready? Breathe it in. Two, three, four. Now hold it. Two, three, four. Let it out. Some of you have bad lung capacity. I can feel this over here. Some of you like... <laughs> like you can't hold it too long, right? Jesus just allowed you to breathe. Jesus did it. He sustained you. He made you breathe. Are you seeing this picture of Jesus? It's amazing. It's huge. And it keeps getting bigger because Jesus is the image of God. You see this in verse 15. Ready? The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of God. You see Jesus, you get the picture of God. And he became a person. Come back to John chapter 1 with me. We're going to be going between Colossians and John, so if you can find a way to keep both open, go for it. 
Back in John chapter 1, verse 14. Remember, the word is Jesus. It's his nickname John's given him. The word became flesh. He became a person. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The one who made the universe became as knowable as you and I am now. If, if you were here on the planet when he was on the planet, you could walk up to him, shake his hand and ask him how his day was. The creator of the universe, you could do that. You could know him that well because he became a man. Have you ever asked the question, why doesn't God make himself more known? Or I'd, I'd, I'd believe in God, I'm willing, but only if he gave me a sign. If he, if he showed me he was real, then, then I'd believe. If he gave me a sign. I reckon a bunch of us have thought that from time to time. Or we've got mates who have thought that from time to time. He has made himself known. He has. This contains real historical accounts of the creator of the universe becoming a person. You can know God. He has given you the biggest sign ever that he has existed. You can know God. And he reveals himself as we read his word. And so never get over reading the Bible. Never get over reading it because in it, we see God. He shows us himself. It's amazing. But back to our main question, right? What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? We're using the Cotton Eye Joe framework. Where did it come from? Everything came from Jesus. It came from Jesus. But the next part of the question, why? Where's it going? Where did it come from? Where did it go? It came from Jesus. And here's the second huge thing we're going to see today. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Everything is going to Jesus. Everything is going to Jesus. Jump back into Colossians 1 with me. Told you we'd be doing some flicking. We're going to look at verse 16. Colossians 1 verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Here we go. All things have been created through him and for him. All of creation made by Jesus, all of creation made for Jesus. And that's what it means when it's talking about the firstborn in verse 15. People have kind of thought before that this means that, you know, Jesus was after God. So God existed all the time, right? And then after a while, God made Jesus, and he was the first one that was born. And you can kind of see why you might believe that, right? But that's just not what it's saying, right? Jesus isn't lesser than God, because if he was, he couldn't be God, right? Come back to John 1 again with me, and we're going to see why it just can't be the case. Oh, no, I lost my little ribbony thing. I'm on manual again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 1, verse 3. Speaking about Jesus, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made 
that has been made. Everything was made by Jesus. Nothing that was made was made without Jesus. So if Jesus was made, he would have had to make himself. Doesn't happen. Can't happen, right? Jesus was never made. He's always existed. And so the the firstborn in Colossians 1 doesn't mean that Jesus was the first one to be born from God. It means he has the rights of a firstborn. All right? So back in the day, the first kid that was born... They got a bunch of stuff, all right? They were kind of the authority. They were a big deal, and they inherited stuff. So I'm the thirdborn, so I don't get much at all, right? But the firstborn, they got it. Jesus inherits the whole universe. It's his. It's his, and so he has authority over it. And this means something huge for you. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. We don't like the thought of belonging to other people, but you belong to Jesus because he came up with the idea of you. Jesus thought about you. He made you. He creates you. He keeps you breathing. Jesus owns you. You are his. You are Jesus's. And so that means that you owe yourself to him because he owns you. You owe him your allegiance. And so does every single person in this world. Whether they like it or not, they owe themselves to Jesus because he made every single one of them. But how does the world treat Jesus? Some say he doesn't even exist. The one who made them, they say he doesn't exist. At the very least, none of us have treated Jesus the way we should have, right? The one who made us. We don't treat him the way he deserves. We tell him to get stuffed and we do what we want instead of what he tells us to. But if Jesus does rule the universe, if it is his, how can people go against him like they do? How does that work? Is it that Jesus is just a, a lousy ruler? Is that what it is? It's his world, but people are against him, so maybe he's just not that powerful. Maybe he's just a bit of a lousy ruler. Jesus rules the world now, but it's contested. There's a contested rule. That is, people refuse to give their allegiance to Jesus. Although they, although they owe it to him, they refuse to do it. They refuse to accept that they belong to him. They refuse to acknowledge his rule. So imagine there's, there's, been a, there's been a war, all right? There's been a war, and a king is trying to in, in reclaim his land from his invaders, all right? These invaders come in, he's like, nah, done with this, I'm going to get rid of them. And so there's a huge battle of Helm's Deep or something, and it's going to decide who owns this land, right? The invader's going to get it, or is the king going to get his land back? What's going to happen? King wins it, right? Smashes them all. Happy days. And so he, the land is his. All right? He's won the war. They're kind of out of there. The land is his. But there's still like pockets of the enemy's camps around. All right? They've sent all their army and they've been wiped out. But there's kind of little pockets of the enemy still around. All right? But the land is the king's. The army's beaten, defeated. But there's still some people around. And so there's still, there's still a contest there's still a bit of conflict in that land, right? You could feel that. 
But the, the king chooses to give him a choice. This is what happens. The king gives him a choice. Look, you can come, I'm, the land's mine, whether you like it or not, the land's mine. You can come under me and just be one of my people now, and that's cool. But if you don't, it's a different story. Because, see, they give, some people do that. They give the king their allegiance. They go, all right, army's beaten, time's up, we'll be one of your people, that's good. Some don't, though. Some refuse to do it. Does it make him any less of the king that they refuse to come under him? No. It doesn't make him any less of a king. They're just refusing to accept it. And that is happening on our planet right now. That's happening on our planet right now because Jesus is the ruler of our world. Jesus is the king of our world. Whether people like it or not, (laughs) the way that they react to him doesn't make him any less of a king. Which means for you as well, if you ever thought, man, I'm a Christian, but no one else seems to be, maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're wrong. Jesus is the ruler of the world. Just because people don't follow him doesn't mean that he's any less of a ruler. Remember that. But what's Jesus going to do about it? What's Jesus going to do about the fact that people refuse to give him what they owe him their lives? There's an active rebellion against him. What's he going to do about it? Check out verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1 with me. He's going to reconcile all things to himself. Check it out. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's going to reconcile all things. Some of you are like, man, I've never used the word reconcile before in my life. What does that mean? To be reconciled means to be brought back into a good relationship. It's, it's making peace. Right? Making peace where there wasn't peace. So you and your friend, you're having a fight, and they kick you in the shin or something, you're like, that's not good. And then they come back and they go, I'm sorry. And you, they apologize, they come to you. And where there wasn't peace when they kicked you in the shin, now there is peace. You're like, that's all right, no worries. Made peace, you're reconciled. Make sense? Tracking? Good stuff. How does Jesus make peace? How does Jesus reconcile? Because there is a lack of peace. We just saw that, right? People refuse to acknowledge he's the king in the land that he owns. There's a lack of peace. How does he make it? You see that in the second half of verse 20. Look down if you got it. And through him to reconcile himself all things, or the things on earth or things in heaven, here we go, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. As Jesus dies... He makes peace. Instead of being his enemies, we can be his friends because he makes peace. That's how it happens, on the cross. But I think this leads to a really tricky question. I think it leads to a really tricky question. Because he says here, Paul says here that Jesus is going to reconcile all things to himself. All things he's going to make peace with. So does that mean everyone's going to be saved? Because Jesus is making peace with all things. Does that mean there's going to be peace between everyone? There's going to be salvation for everyone? Is that what that's saying? It's what we call universal salvation. Everyone will be saved one day. In the end, everyone will be saved. And it seems like sometimes a nice thing to believe, because sometimes we don't like the idea of judgment. 
Is everyone going to be saved? That's not what this is saying. You can see that in the passage real quickly. Come to, come to verse 22, 23. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, talking about his death, uh, physical body through death, to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith. And then a bit down, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So we're free from accusation if we hold on to the gospel, which tells you what? If you don't hold on to the gospel, you're not that. So you can see here, not everyone can be saved, because to be saved, you need to hold on to the gospel. It says it here. So what does it mean to reconcile all things? Because it still says it. So how does Jesus make peace? He makes peace in two ways for two different types of people. Jesus makes peace in two different ways for two different types of people. Because there's two different ways to come under Jesus as king. And the first way is to do that willingly. You come under Jesus willingly. So you you hear the gospel that Jesus gave himself to make peace with you, to make you holy and blameless, 22 and 23 there. You hear that and you trust in Jesus. You have the faith that we saw yesterday, the trust in Jesus. And because of that, you get the hope of heaven that we saw yesterday. You apologize for your sin, you turn to Jesus, you become one of his people. And he will accept that. If you do that, Jesus will accept you, which is a great thing. There are people who choose to come under Jesus as king now. They're forgiven. Verse 22, they are holy in his sight, without blemish. That means without anything bad anymore, without any spot. They're clean, they're forgiven. That's the first way. You come under Jesus willingly. But there is a second way that people come under Jesus, and it's to do so unwillingly. You can do it unwillingly. Because what comes of the people who refuse to accept Jesus as king? What happens to the people who, before, refused to come under the king who owned the land? To have real peace in that land, he must crush them. To have real peace, there can't be that contest anymore. And so they will come under his rule, not in salvation but in judgment. Not in salvation, but in judgment. Jesus rules the universe now, and there is rebellion now. People who refuse to come under him willingly now. But that will end. Jesus will come and end that rebellion. He has set a time where he will come back and judge all people. And the ones that are under him now will be seen as clean and forgiven. But there are those who aren't. Because there are those who have refused to accept him as king. The punishment that people receive forever for their rebellion. And that's what we mean when we talk about hell. It's punishment for rebelling against King Jesus. And it's a horrific thought. You see, they they will know that Jesus is Lord. They will know it. They will know it full well when he comes back to judge. 
Philippians 2 says that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will know that Jesus is the King one day. His enemies will be crushed and there will be peace because of it. Everyone who rejects Jesus in this life will be judged. This is my dad, my brothers. Jesus is going to come back. If they don't turn to him, they're going to be judged for it. Please don't let that be you. Please. Don't let it be your friends. Don't let it be you. We all have friends who refuse to live with Jesus as their rule and heir. We all know people. Please listen to me. It is your duty to tell them. It's your duty to tell them. Because you have the news that can save them. You have the news that can save them. Sometimes we can feel awkward, I reckon, telling the gospel to people, inviting them to youth where they can hear it. But they're going to be punished forever if they don't put their trust in Jesus. My friends, my family too. So do absolutely everything that you can, everything you can to have them hear the gospel. Anything you can. If you don't have any friends that aren't Christian, well, that's a problem too. If you don't have anyone that you're like, I could go tell them the gospel, go and find some. Go go and make friends with people to tell them the gospel. Go, Go join a sports team, not just to play the sport, but to tell them the gospel. It's something I'm planning to do this year. Go join a team so that I'll meet more people to tell the gospel to. Go get a job, not just to earn money there, but with the intention of I'm going to make friends with these people because I want to tell them the gospel. Be intentional with everything you do. The purpose of your life is to come under Jesus as the King. It's our purpose. It's what we're built for. Because everything came from Jesus. Everything's going to Jesus. The meaning of your life is to come under Him. Which way are you going to do that? Which way are you going to do that? If you are living with Jesus, if you are living with Jesus as your King now, then you are living out the meaning of your life. That's a beautiful thing to think about, right? That's comforting. You are living the way that you were built to live. If you are living with Jesus as your King, you've got life right. So keep making decisions to live with Jesus as your King. Sometimes it's going to mean you might lose friends to live with Jesus as your king. But living with him as your king is what you were built for. It's your purpose and so it's worth it. So don't live for pleasure because it's not what you were built for. You're built to live for Jesus. Keep, keep gathering with Christians. Keep coming to youth. Enjoy the times when we get to gather together because that's a picture of forever. 
That's a picture of where we're going to be forever, gathered with God's people, singing his praise and enjoying him forever. So enjoy the times that you get to gather with Christians. Enjoy it. Don't miss it for anything. Maybe for you it's not the funnest thing you can do on a Friday night anymore. I get that. Sometimes it's not. But it is the best. It's the most significant. It's the most significant. To come under Jesus, youth, church, gathering, it's a picture. It's a picture of that. It's an awesome picture. For those of you who don't know Jesus here, who who aren't living with him as your king, he's offering you peace. He's offering you it now. A good relationship with him. So come under his rule. Come under him as king. He made you. He thought of you. He loves you. Come under him as king. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your power. You created everything. You made everything. You thought it up in your wisdom and you made it with your power. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you thought of us and what we're like and you made us the way that you have. We want to thank you that you keep us breathing, you keep us going, that every day that we wake up is you allowing us to wake up. And we praise you that you've done that today. We want to thank you that Jesus is king. We want to thank you that we have a a loving ruler and a fair ruler. We want to thank you that for many of us, you have brought us under him. We praise you that you've forgiven us and that we can live with Jesus as our king. And we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us in our lives to make decisions that show that Jesus is our king. Help us to share the gospel in a way that's just unashamed. Help us to love the gospel. We pray for those of us here who who aren't living with Jesus as their king. We pray that you would put it on their heart to do that, and we pray that you would save them. Amen. Amen.